Hi, and welcome to another episode of Healthy Distractions, a show with two Marvel fanboys who talk all things Marvel except when we don't, but we definitely are going to do that today. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. And we just got back from Infinity War the fourth time third, from a few hours ago. Third time for me. Okay. I'm not a monster. We're not counting. Yes, we are. Okay. That's great. Matt, did you like the movie? Yes. After the second and third time, I actually really liked this movie. Which I kind of expected after our initial reaction. Wow, what a really bold and ballsy statement to make. It's really, really challenging the status quo there. <laughs> well, we did it. We did our initial reactions last Thursday. So between then and now, how has your opinion changed, do you think? So my initial reaction was that it was overwhelming. After having a couple days to digest everything we saw and to see it one or two two more times since that opening night i was able to appreciate everything that was on screen and appreciate everything that we saw there were a few things that are still a problem with the movie but they can be overlooked in my opinion because of what this movie is supposed to represent and we'll go into some of those um critiques later but some of the pacing was a little bit fast it was very game of thrones season seven ish where they have so much goodwill with the audience and the fans that it's okay for them to jump around as much as they did. And they do. They jump from nowhere to Titan to Earth to Wakanda. To, it's it's all over the place. Given what this movie is supposed to be, I think it's great. And I think that they the Rousseau brothers did an amazing job giving screen time to a lot of the characters. Well, before I get into my critique, I want to critique critiquers and actually i saw this last thursday i noticed this as well where the reviews on comic book and pop culture websites compared to national outlets like new york times or washington post the reviews were swinging like a pendulum back and forth where you had the fanboy saying this was the greatest film or great yeah no no pretty much this was the greatest film ever made it's a monumental achievement. It's the greatest superhero film. Nothing even comes close to touching it. So that's one side. Then on the other side you had, it was fucking A.O. Scott, who I love. I always love his reviews. And I even loved his Infinity War review because it was so over the top, I thought. Lamenting the death of cinema and how these movies have no value or meaning. It's just mindless droll to tide over the masses. Maybe I'm, I misread what he was trying to articulate. But you have those two diametric viewpoints. And then you have, I think... Uh, for example, the Mary Sue or Vox and a few other outlets like that, where they're more in the middle, where they made the point that this was a huge achievement to do 10 years of franchise building to lead up to a movie that ties it all together. And it was very satisfying, albeit flawed. I think that's where this movie falls in line with me. It does feel like an achievement, but it's, it didn't, I mean, it didn't change the way I view about movies. I'm not going to, I'm not lamenting the death of cinema. I don't know if I would call this the greatest superhero movie, let alone movie. But I did leave me fully satisfied and slightly overwhelmed in a good way. So I'm I'm still on that page. I think the big thing for me also, just the last thing I want to say really quick, talking general thoughts. This movie stuck with me and still does stay with me. That mostly has to do mostly has to do with Thanos, but also the orbit he exerts and how it affects all the characters around him. Yes, I think this movie definitely falls in that middle area. If Marvel didn't have the last ten years of movies this movie wouldn't make sense. And it would be, in my opinion, very hard to digest. And I don't think it would do as well as it has. 
it resonates because we have a history with these characters. We have a history with this universe, this world, that is finally coming to a close. We always do this, we bring up Justice League, but this is why Justice League failed. They brought together a bunch of heroes that no one had any connection with. None of the actors, the villain, nobody in that movie, except for Wonder Woman, was connected to the audience. There was a New York Times person who tweeted that said like, oh, you know, without you know the, te- the previous 10 years of Marvel movies, this movie would be awful. It's like, of course. That's I, I think James Gunn retweeted that. James Gunn retweeted for the New Yorker, that. I think. Yeah, and of course, obviously, that that's, goes without saying. And James Gunn t- tweeted to that, the point, it's like, well, Game of Thrones season eight, there's no character development. Or no introduction of, of no. these characters. Like, well, well yeah. That's, yeah. That's just how you tell a fucking story. In the last seven seasons of Game of Thrones, we have the introduction of, and the development of all these characters. The last 10 years of Marvel movies, we've seen the growth and development of all these characters. So it definitely is not the greatest movie ever made. It's not the greatest superhero movie ever made. It's not even the greatest Marvel movie ever made. But it's up there. It's a great movie because of how it brings together the last 10 years. Another issue with the film in general, I will give, I, I mean, I will admit, I think when I was watching it, unfor- it, the movie was also a victim of its own success of the franchise filmmaking, where a lot of the spectacle in the movie I had was sort of numb to. For example, when Thor has to restart the dying heart of a star, like, it's totally cool, I'm invested, I understand what's going on, but I'm not in awe. And I think that's because I've seen so much spectacular shit for the past 10 years. That by the time we get here, I'm sort of numb to the spectacle. I think the movie takes that into consideration because they jump around so much. So they can feel the audience's angst building up. So it's like, okay, well, we just want to get to this next plot point. But it didn't affect me in that way. That's the same way that, for example, um, when I saw Two Towers the first time and watching Helm's Deep, I was jaw on the floor, losing my mind. Here, I was freaking out in certain moments. But in terms of like the big set pieces... I was like, oh, this is very cool, but nothing I haven't seen before. Not, not to diminish the hard work of, of the visual effects artists and, and the directors and everyone who tried to, who tried to, try to wow us. But the biggest wow moments was really just the, the character interactions and pretty much all the Thanos stuff. And then seeing the characters react to the damage being done. That was the more uh, intense part. I think that's, that's, a, that's a testament to their success of the franchise filmmaking that... As you were saying, if I hadn't seen these characters, you know, suffer and love and lose in the past, it wouldn't have felt so rich in this movie. But it did. At the same time, watch them, you know, fight another CGI army. While I, I think it does work, it's that's not that's not the focus, and I wasn't as drawn in by that. I'm gonna push back a little bit on that. Some scenes did not resonate, and I think it's for the reasons that you mentioned. The scene on Titan, the fight on Titan, actually, with Thanos and the Guardians and Iron Man and Spider-Man. One of the best action scenes I think we've seen out of Marvel in a long time. And it's because we are playing to a lot of each of the characters' strengths or even some of their flaws. We finally got to see Doctor Strange in some badass action scenes. And I would say that he was actually, aside from Thanos, I think Doctor Strange was actually one of the best parts of this movie. And the scene where he clones himself was awesome to see so i do feel as if the action in this movie was actually very fitting and it did have an impact on me despite what you're saying which was true for certain parts certain action scenes in the movie 
but not for all of them. Right. Just to I mean, just to clarify, um, before we move on, I'm not saying any of that was bad. And I'm not trying to diminish the hard work of what they were trying to go for. But unfortunately, because I've obsessed and seen so many of these movies, it just didn't have the same impact on me like the first time, like the first time of watching the Avengers back in 2012, watching them fight uh, the Shatari army in New York. So that, that's, I mean, that's all I was trying to say. It just didn't have the same effect. Gotcha. But to get into, you know, moments that you, that really stuck with you, besides the confrontation on Titan, was there anything else that really resonated? I mean, we can, we can get into that if you want. We, we can get into that fight scene. I'll start with that fight scene. Please do. <laughs> I really did enjoy seeing Doctor Strange. A lot of the origin stories or the original movies for each of these characters, it always felt like they were still trying to figure out how they fit into this character's role. And after going back and seeing some of the older movies, it's very obvious that it's like there's still a chemistry or something that's happening that they're trying to figure out, okay, how do I portray this character? And represent this character in the best way possible. And that happened with Doctor Strange too. Obviously the original heroes, they have three movies behind them. That they've had time to build that. And to see Benedict Cumberbatch really take control of Doctor Strange. And we get to see Doctor Strange for who I feel he is. His personality, everything. Was amazing. And we finally got to see him in some really cool action scenes using a lot of the magic that he learned while he was fighting Dormammu in the first one. Seeing him replicate himself, seeing him help Peter jump along all of those little places, it was great. And I loved seeing his interactions with Robert Downey Jr. too. They, 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 hate each, they almost hate each other. It's a professional respect though. Seeing them two interact, that was also one of the best things that I've seen. Right. And that's something I want to talk about as well is... Tony and Steven have such a great uh, interplay where, as you were saying, they're rivals slash where even Strange just flat out says, I don't care if you live or die. It's more about the mission. But by the end, I think they feel they definitely have a mutual respect and admiration. And we get to see that play out throughout this movie. I really appreciate how they split the teams up in this film where they're, they're tasked with this monumental task of you have... 24 characters, most of them are beloved with their own franchises, on screen, who gets more screen time and what. Of course, Iron Man it will never be sidelined. I totally get that. But I think they did a really good job with keeping him with his, with his mentee, with uh, Peter, and then having him clash with another goatee douchebag like himself. <laughs> and I thought that was a really wise choice. And... Probably the only way you could have done this kind of movie, where we just we can't have them all we can't have all these heroes on screen at the same time, so let's split them up in the right way. It's actually an expanded version of Guardians Two when they split the team up, when they split the Guardians up to have them go on their own personal journeys and missions. And I thought it worked really well here. Um, and I would say it had the biggest payoff was on Titan, watching Peter Strange and the Guardians try to take down Thanos. The Captain America team was, once again, good because I, I, I'm totally on board with these characters. But it also seemed sort of... Formulaic. Yes. Yes. Like, we have to have a scene where there can be, there's going to be a big battle fighting the CGI army. I don't mean to keep dwelling on that, but that one seemed kind of by the books. But then also I like the Thor one a lot because it's more intimate. And you're seeing Thor with the Rocky Raccoon, who's one of my other favorite characters. I don't mean to jump in on you, but... To continue down this road with the Captain America team, 
I feel like that they arrange the characters based on their personalities, and I think we touched on this before. We saw Star-Lord, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, and Iron Man. They were fighting together against Thanos on Titan, and those are the four more sarcastic slash assholes within all of these heroes. And then you had Thor, Rocket, and Groot, who are kind of the... Well, absurd. Absurd slash jokesters, you know, who don't take everything too seriously, but are very serious when needed to be. I think for the Thor, too, that, that reminds me, for Thor and Rocket, they both have massively tragic pasts. Yeah. And I didn't realize how tragic Thor's story was until this movie. Yeah. Because um, Ragnarok did such a good job of keeping things light and, and uh, freewheeling. You have Rocket, who we've seen, you know, in... The two Guardians movies is a really damaged person. Uh, when Yondu says in Guardians Two, "I know the pain you feel because you're me, and I've experienced what you experienced," and the way Rocket reconciles with Peter and pushes people away, but then comes back together with them, I like the fact that he takes on that sort of Peter father role in this movie for Thor. And Thor, he basically lets have Thor have a quick therapy session before they go into final battle, which I thought was really sweet. And that just that goes to what we're saying, though. They did a really good job with, okay, like, we'll figure out the story mechanics later, but which characters have to be together? What makes the most sense? And so I think it all worked out. And on a more superficial level, having Black Panther and Captain America fight side by side just makes sense. Where we don't get to see their characters balance off each other that much because they're sort of already on the same page. But, okay, they're both Earth-based, grounded heroes who have a stoic sensibility. And that's, that's where I was going with my train of thought, too. The Captain America group was the more stoic and the more, I don't want to say serious because that's the wrong word, but definitely they're more focused in what they're trying to accomplish. I would say everyone already knows what they're supposed to be doing. So there's not a need for communication back and forth. Well, conflict free. Yeah. There's not a lot to explore there because everyone's on the same page. Yeah. Which is protecting vision and saving vision and keeping the stone from Thanos. Yeah. And that plays into why their interactions weren't as exciting or as fun as seeing the other two groups. Right, no, and that's and that's the thing too, is Thor has a personal vendetta and reason against Thanos, then so do the Guardians with their connection to Gamora, and the fact that they've been dealing with his bullshit in the background for the past you know, two or three movies. So there's a personal connection with our main character, I guess. Another thing I noticed as well that I really appreciate, besides how they split the team up, teams up, was how they used the MacGuffins, how they used the Infinity Stones. And once again, this is me sort of getting my own chip on my shoulder. For the past five years, I've heard people bitch and moan. Okay, that seems harsh. I've heard people be critical <laughs> of the Infinity Stones. It's just like, oh, they're just magical rocks. And they just... They just blah, 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 blah. Once again, I'm not really doing a good service to those arguments. <laughs> but for this film, I, I, I loved how they used this, the Infinity Stones. Uh, once again, for how they organized where the stones were and who's going to go after what stone and that seeing the powers manifest themselves i thought that was worth the wait and it, it, it serves it served the story really well especially seeing the reality stone when thanos used it you know here and there throughout some of his scenes it was just it was just fun fun to watch and fun to actually see it come to life to marvel's credit and the russo brothers credit this was an infinity war this movie was a war over those stones. They know this. The mission from the start of this movie was collect all the stones. By the end of the movie, he has all these stones and he accomplishes what he wanted to do. He reshaped the universe and killed half of the population. 
I think the reason like you're bringing that up, that may seem like an obvious fact after after seeing the movie, but the reason that I really appreciate that sentiment is because there's been so many movies, and even some of the Marvel films, where there's just been promises of what's to come, and I, I hope we can do an episode about Amazing Spider-Man someday, because to me that's like the textbook fi- uh, franchise failure, where the entire s- uh, sequel of that is just promises and teases for future installments, and it's so obnoxious. So that's why I really praise that the fact that they have so much leeway to do whatever they want to do. They just they don't they don't but they don't waste our time. They just go for it. And even though this movie is almost is a cliffhanger inherently, right? We know Avengers Four is going to close out the loop or close out the story. We know that a Marvel movie can't really end this way. We like we're we're kind of built and we're programmed to already know that there's more to come. But for the sake of this movie. It really is a closed story. They could have gone the route and had one of the stones be destroyed. Like, they really committed to this whole Thanos is going to get all the stones. So, now what do the Avengers have to do next? Thanos accomplishes mission. He killed half the population. That's what Avengers 4 is going to focus on. There's none of this Thanos gets the last stone and it fades, the movie fades to black, or he's about to collect his sixth stone and Here's the cliffhanger for the next movie. No, this is a contained war and Thanos won. Yes, he's the main character and this has been pointed out in other reviews as well where he is the only person with a mission and a motive and everyone else is just reacting to him. And something else I know, that I noticed as well, you mentioned the cliffhanger. I feel like they had their cake and ate it too where yes, there's the cliffhanger aspect but as we were discussing, it does feel like a complete film. By comparison, I remember when I saw The Matrix Reloaded, which I, I actually like The Matrix Reloaded, but it ends on no resolution with a bunch of balls in the air and nothing is solved. It's very frustrating. And then we all know how the third movie turned out. Yeah. But to stay on topic, I have no doubt that they'll they'll find a satisfactory way, satisfactorily way to bring it all home with Avengers 4. I, I definitely felt they stuck the landing there. Or I, I didn't feel cheated. I was very impressed. And actually, it's like, I don't want to see my heroes fail. But that's a testament to the storytelling. I kind of want to see Thanos get the stones and, and actually do what he wants to do. And to continue on that point, I don't want to see the heroes die. I don't want to see these heroes be gone forever. But Marvel pretty much has an open book right now. Anything can happen. These characters could come back, they could be dead. We don't we don't really know. Obviously, we have some expectations like Spider-Man has another movie coming out, so we kind of figure Peter Parker is going to be back alive. And we know that Guardians have a third vo- third movie coming out as well. So, which of the Guardians are going to come back? Cuz basically all of the Guardians died except for Rocket and Nebula. So, it's interesting to think, but that doesn't mean anything. Spider-Man, the next Spider-Man could be miles morales which you had mentioned and the next guardians could just be rocket nebula and thor we don't know but they can go anywhere in this so it's kind of it's exciting because we don't know what's going to happen and i think this is rare for the superhero genre and it's also like kind of scary because we're like oh shit are did we really lose black panther and wanda and falcon and all these other characters that we've fallen in love with so it's it's really like holy crap and we were just talking about this right before we decided to record but one of the things that i appreciated that i 
feel like Marvel did intentionally was Thanos didn't actually kill any of the heroes with the stones and the gauntlet. He could have easily wiped out all of those Avengers on Titan. He could have wiped out in the final scene when he's walking to Vision to get the Mind Stone. He could have killed any of those with the gauntlet. But I think as a testament to the character and to what they were trying to do with Thanos, in his mind, he's not a psychopath. He's not a mass murderer. Well, he is, but... I mean... <laughs> There's a method to his madness. Yeah, he's a mass murderer, but he's on a randomized scale. He's not going to go out and kill the Avengers because that's more direct. I think it just shows his character. He, that he, in fact, the irony is that he actually values life in his own twisted way. So that's why it's less about indiscriminately killing uh, the Avengers or anyone who gets in his way and more about just achieving his goal. And letting, and letting the random assortment settle things out. The one thing I wanted to talk about also is the nature of endings. You're talking about how, yes, they kill off these characters. But in the back of our minds, we know that there's going to be a Spider-Man sequel. We know that there's going to be a Guardian sequel. So, you know, do they really kill them? And I think that gets to a larger point we've heard echoed in past Marvel movies. About, you know, well, there's no real consequences or stakes because death doesn't really mean anything. And that's a criticism that's been leveled at comic books forever. The, th the only thing I just wanted to quickly bring up was, yes, that's half true, because to me, in the moment, it, it all comes down to the performances. In the comics, it's frustrating because we do have that background knowledge, but you can't really emote with the characters to his... Or it's limited how, you can how far you can connect with the characters in on the pages of a comic book compared to an actual performance. So yes, you know, we know we, we might not have outside knowledge uh, that Scarlet Witch doesn't know, but in the moment when she's killing Vision and trying to hold off Thanos, she believes that, and you have a great performance from Elizabeth Olsen that sells that. And to me, that's the value of not just this film, but all the films before that, when you have the actors who commit to the roles. And to me, that's the important part. On that note, regarding Elizabeth Olsen's performance, which was amazing, was there any other characters that stood out for you, or whether it was a good or a bad? For me, my current MVPs, and I'm sure this will switch by the hour or by the minute, but Thanos is the MVP, and I, I don't know. I know you want to get into that later, but his performance really resonated. Um, Star Lord's actually stood out. I mentioned before um, in Guardians Two, it felt like Star Lord was sort of dialed back uh, to show growth of his character. But for this film, because it's part of this larger tapestry of franchises, they're like, let's just get the crystallized, plucky uh, Peter Quill that we all, that we all know and love. And Chris Pratt was he dialed it up to eleven in terms of the sarcasm, the wit, the uh, immaturity, but also the compassion, the compassion he shows to Gamora. And then she's another person as well, or another uh, performance as well. The thing that really uh, jarred me was when she fake kills Thanos on uh, Nowhere. And she just breaks down crying. I think that's the result of, well, I think she did love him to an extent, but he's also her, her abuser. It's that thing where you kind of, it's it's messy and complicated, but it feels real and raw. And Zoe Zaldana has never, ever, ever not made me believe in her performance or committed to her performance. So that worked out really well. And then the last one that stood out to me that I, I want to bring up, Thor. I mentioned Thor before. I, I think he did a great job continuing the character from Ragnarok, that tonal reshift. I mean, he recaps his entire mythos in this movie as well. When he mentions, yeah, my father's dead, my brother's dead, my mom's dead. I lost to all this stuff. And it's Hensworth just leaves it all on the table, which I really appreciated. 
What about you? Who stood out to you? Thor was actually one of my favorites. I think he captured Ragnarok Thor. Like you said, Hemsworth laid everything out on the table. So I don't want to bring up Thor. I will say the other one that really sold me was Tom Holland with, as Spider-Man. He, he's the perfect person for this role. And when he's dying on Titan in Tony Stark's arms, I'm ready to tear up because he sells it so well. The last one that I will say that I think did a really good job was Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. He was great. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, he jumped into the role. I think he's comfortable with being Doctor Strange now. And I really, really connected with that character. He felt like he took the performance to another level. Lastly, I know you said Elizabeth Olsen, and I do think that she was probably the best actress in this movie. Her and Paul Bettany working together, just the connection was there. Their chemistry on screen and each of the scenes together, it was powerful. It felt like they'd been doing it for years together. And it was pretty heartbreaking when she had to blow him up at the end of the movie. Overall, the actors that they gave the screen time to, they really capitalized on it, and they really didn't disappoint. Well, to wrap up this conversation, uh, this will be the first of many Infinity War conversations, I can assure you. I will just say that the movie definitely ends on this very uh, downer note, to say the least. It has, it does have this fe- this feeling of failure and finality to it, um, and it's also kind of sur- like weirdly serene, watching everyone fade to the dust. And just watching the satisfaction on Thanos' face—that's also what I appreciated as a, as a film. Marvel, you know, leading up to this point, I think what they've gotten better with their films is trying to tap into a, a rich emotion where we can't just coast by spectacle. We actually have to have a selling point and a feel, a sense of purpose and feeling with these films. They achieve that sometimes better or not, with depending on the film. But I think this is the culmination of that. It definitely does feel like a downer ending. And yes, even with that outside knowledge of well, yeah, sure, they might reverse it with this stone or that stone. It felt real. And the look on Captain America's face, realizing what happened, it cut to the core. And so I applaud them for that. Well, I'm sure, like us, you have many thoughts and feelings about Infinity War. Uh, you can send that our way at healthydistractionspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at health underscore distract. Find us on Facebook, search for Healthy Distractions. You can also find us on Instagram at Healthy Distractions. And for those of you who are listening, please write us a review, rate us on iTunes. This will help us bring in more listeners. Any reviews we receive before May 15th, you'll be entered into a raffle to win a little prize. Let us know what you think. Be honest. Put it on iTunes. As always, I've been Jeremy. I've been Matt. Later.